Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, which begins in our church Bibles on page 869 and in your bulletin. Please stand if you are able as we read from the New Testament. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Please be seated. We're back in Luke's Gospel, and our focus is prayer this morning. So let's begin with praying. Lord, with the psalmist, we say, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in your heart, sorry, my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Father, that prayer, we know, was spoken by someone who struggled as we do in keeping commandments and struggled as we do with their own selfishness and sin and who longed that he might become more the man you wanted him to be. So, Father, we pray for ourselves this morning that again, by your Holy Spirit, you would continue that work of sanctification in our lives, 
that as we hear your words this morning, Lord, we might store them up in our hearts, not as information data, but as resources on which then to live and to grow and to speak and to act. Lord, may we live in the good of these words, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Some of you may have had a difficult time getting out of bed this morning to come to church. Why was that? It could mean that you were tired, or it could mean that you have the first stages of African sleeping sickness, which result in coma or even death within a number of hours. Or you woke up this morning and you took a look at your feet and noticed they didn't smell that great and your toenails are yellowing. Why was that? It could simply mean that you've hit that stage in life that we call the teen years and you've yet to discover personal hygiene. Or it might be that you have naturally occurring ugly feet Or it could mean that you have the early stages of gangrene. (laughs) Or you sat at the breakfast table this morning reading the newspaper and you realized that the words had no meaning to you. Why was that? Well, it could mean that you had yet to have your coffee or that the Times-Dispatch Chinese edition had been delivered to your doorstep by mistake. Or it could mean that you're suffering from a rare disease which damages the cerebral cortex and means you cannot understand written words. We live in a world of dangers. And perhaps no society in the world has ever been as efficient, protective, and capable as our American society is at appearing to give us all kinds of assurance, insurance, and reassurance that we will be kept safe from the dangers of this life. So this seemed to me like a good way back into Luke as we come to the Lord's Prayer this morning. We've been studying our tendency to look to money to keep us safe. So here at the very end of the Lord's Prayer in Luke, Jesus raises this question, how does God say that he will keep you safe? So I want to answer that question by asking three others of it, of the words, lead us not into temptation, to focus on that petition here in the Lord's Prayer this morning. And to ask these questions very simply of it, what does Jesus mean by those words? Why should God ever lead his people into temptation? And thirdly, why then should we pray to God, lead us not into temptation? So if you would look at the text, you can find it there printed in the bulletin. Uh, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to be focusing particularly on verse 4, lead us not into temptation. So what does Jesus mean here? In Luke, as opposed to Matthew, you may have noticed this is the way that Jesus, in a somewhat abrupt way, in Luke's reading of the Lord's Prayer, concludes the teaching of the Lord's Prayer in the context that he gives us. Lead us not into temptation. This one clause, as you may know, has caused people down the years no end of difficulty. In fact, no lesser figure than Pope Francis, who almost never makes public comments on the interpretation of the Bible, felt driven to say this to Italian TV last December. He said, the current language of this part of the Lord's Prayer is not a good translation. It is not that he, God, pushes me into temptation and then sees how I fall. A father does not do this. A father quickly helps those who are provoked into Satan's temptation. Now, to credit the Pope, which if you think about it, is not a way that Presbyterians often begin a sentence, (laughs) 
But to credit the Pope, the Bible affirms that God does not tempt anyone. James says this, it's not in God's character. James 1 verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God, James says, cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So to the Pope's point, is it right to say that God leads his children into temptation? Well, in one way, it is not right to say so, right? God is not like the devil. God does not solicit us to sin. He has no liking at all for darkness. In fact, he hates it. It is no remedy to him, no comfort to him in the way that it often appears to be to us. However, and this is where it pays to read all of Scripture, it is not necessarily unlike God as a father to lead his loved ones into time of temptation and testing. Now, why do we say that? Well, the supreme example of this in the Bible is earlier in Luke. And Luke, as he's putting together the Bible, must have thought this as he puts together the gospel. Luke chapter 4, where, of course, almost with deliberate rewording here, Luke tells us that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And for what purpose? Well, Luke says, to be tempted. Jesus, who is our example, who is the one we follow, was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And in a similar sense, you can read this in 1 Peter 4. Peter writes to his readers that they shouldn't be surprised. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial or, or test that has come upon you. And in many ways, it's a temptation that they face there in 1 Peter. Their enemy, the devil, he says, is prowling around, looking for someone to devour. And that will be for them, Peter says, a time to rejoice that in accordance with God's will, they're being tested. And if you look back further at the Old Testament, you find, and again, this is the template, if you will, of the life of faith. The Lord tests the righteous, Psalm 11. And you may not realize this, but who are the righteous? You are the righteous. You are the righteous not because of yourselves, but because of what Christ has done and claimed you for in himself. Prove me, test my heart and my mind, David prays in Psalm 26. And in Genesis 22, we read, God tested Abraham with Isaac, not because he hated him, but because he loved him. So it's not necessarily wrong to picture God leading his children into temptation. Now, why would God ever lead his people into temptation? You know, when I was 14, I had this tremendously enthusiastic, encouraging, I think short-sighted coach for track and field who was sure that I would make a great pole vaulter. So he gave me a pole, which I'd never seen before, uh, and it pointed me to this hole in the ground and the bar and a crash mat, and he said, have a go. And I'd whine, oh, coach, I don't think I can. And he insisted, go on, lad, go on. And uh, what he was doing was he was testing me. Not because he doubted my abilities, but because he probably overrated them. He wanted me to try. He wanted me to learn. He wanted me to trust him. And when it was clear after about uh, two weeks that the pole vaulting thing clearly wasn't going to work on out, he moved me then somewhat dangerously onto Hammer, 
which I will spare you the details of, except for the person who was nearly sent to hospital with a concussion. He moved me then to my optimal event, the 1,000-meter walk. This he can do! He beamed with pride. And there I was, the least promising member of the ninth grade athletics team, but not in his eyes. And I, I say that to encourage you. You know, I was a little bit impudent, a little bit rude about teenagers at the beginning of the sermon. But one of the things, right, that we know that we need, but we particularly need in our teenage years, is someone who believes in us. Someone who will take us under their wing. Somebody who will think that we are perhaps better than we are. Someone who will love us and persevere with us and who has high hopes for us. And I think as you come to this prayer, in, that, in the same way as you come to the Lord's Prayer, I think it's vital to remember how the Lord's Prayer begins by the time you get to its ending, right? So it begins here, Our Father. It doesn't begin the way that I'm inclined to believe it has begun when the time I get to the end of it. Not God who is going to judge me today, or God who's going to evaluate whether I am worthy to be part of his people today. God who is uncertain whether he wants me on his team today. But rather God our Father. God to whom I belong as one of his dearly ransomed children. God, you can pray this, who in my, your sovereign care for me, God, is leading me perhaps into a time of testing today. Even severe testing and temptation remind me today, Father, that you are indeed my loving, sovereign Father, and that your response to me is to see me and to receive me as your child, your own son or daughter. Now, if that is true, right, if that is true, why would a Father who loves us then lead us into temptation? Well, the answer, I think, is shown in many ways in Luke's gospel, but here's one example of it in the life of Simon Peter. In Luke 22, this is at the Last Supper, Jesus tells Peter about the temptation he's about to go through, and he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, why is that a vital example for us? It's a vital example because Simon Peter told Jesus repeatedly that he, Peter, would never fail Jesus. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death, was the kind of thing that Peter was likely to tell Jesus. In fact, he told him that a couple of minutes after Jesus had told him what he told him. And Jesus has to respond in two ways that are absolutely true. Number one, that Peter would indeed fail him. And number two, that despite his betrayal, because Christ had prayed for him, because of that, his faith ultimately would not fail. He would turn back and he would strengthen his brothers. And for all of them, you can see this as you read Luke 22, as Jesus is looking at them all. All of them, that he knew the skeletons in their closet, he knew their sins, he knew their weaknesses. Jesus emphasizes, despite those things, that he has assigned to them a kingdom. In fact, he says that before he tells Peter that he will fail. I have assigned to you a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. How encouraging is that as we come to God 
knowing who we are and knowing who he is. So that was the temptation, wasn't it, for Simon Peter? This was the point at which he was being tested, at the point of his pride and his self-confidence. He said, if all even are made to stumble because of you, Jesus, I will never be made to stumble. But the Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. So it may strike us as funny that perhaps the least mature and the most emotionally unstable member of the disciples was the very one that Jesus decided to call Rocky. Rocky, not because of himself, but because of what Jesus would yet do in him. So if Simon Peter was ever to be brought to see that his place in the kingdom relied on his ability not to make confident promises, still less to keep them, but rather his ability to see his own sin and to see his own failure and to see his own massive need daily for Jesus, his saviour, then his temptation and testing would show its value. It's the same for us too. You know, there's an excellent hymn that I uh, came across from John Newton. This is not a well-known hymn of Newton's, but it's one of the best. It's called, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. And it sums up perfectly this experience of what it means as a Christian to be tempted and to be tested and yet to grow through it. This is what Newton wrote. "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer." But he has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. With his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart and laid me low. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried, wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ, from self and pride to set thee free, to break thy schemes of worldly joy, that thou mayst seek thy all in me. And you will find that this is your daily temptation and thus this need for daily prayer, that you and I will look on some other resource continually to hang on to other than Jesus himself. Whatever our years in the faith, Whatever our doctrine, whatever our office, whatever our standing, whatever our self-confidence, you and I will continually be drawn to find our confidence in some other thing than in Jesus and his gospel. But this is what the book of Hebrews tells us, that Jesus himself who goes before us literally into temptation as a kind of champion and a flag bearer of the coming kingdom is the same one who is there as our model. He is the pattern of our lives. He learned obedience through suffering. Not that we might be alienated and say, I could never do that, but rather knowing that he has placed his spirit within us to know that that slowly perhaps, but day by day, he is making us to be. He was tempted in every way as we are, Hebrews says, but without sin. And this is what's so astonishing to me about a life like Peter's. Maybe it will strike you in the same way. It was God who used his success through temptation and in the face of his own failure to teach him to grow. 
And how would he grow? By focusing on himself? No. By focusing on Christ and his love for him. That is the foundation for the Christian life. That is the foundation for our confidence. For in all the ways that we're going to pray for Cambria, we're going to pray that that's what she discovers as we are slowly discovering it, that the only true foundation in the Christian life is God's well done in Jesus. Now, it ought to be said that God means and his equips his children to win battles against temptation. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world, Jesus told us. And for that reason, right, one of the reasons he's placed his spirit within you, you will sin, obviously, daily. To the end of your days, you will sin and you will fail. But you will also grow. And the sins that beset you, you will find increasing victory over as God perseveres in you. You will succeed in sin in ways that at the beginning of your Christian life, perhaps, you had never imagined you will do. And you will trust more in the work of Christ as your daily confidence. So when people ask, why should God lead us into temptation? It is in this process, right, of following after Jesus and in being taken through a kind of training ground where daily we're being tested and toughened up and confirmed in our place in the gospel. So all of that being said, why then, rather strangely, would Jesus at the end of this prayer pray, lead us not into temptation? Why pray that you should be spared such times of testing? And from God's perspective, they seem good. Well, I don't think we can underestimate the importance of this illustrating contextual story that finishes, if you will, the Lord's Prayer here. Jesus is using it to explain the whole prayer in Luke as Matthew uses a different set of explanations in Matthew's Gospel. This story is not of someone you notice who has what they need, but of someone who in some desperation has to come and to ask for help. And that's the point of the story, that they come perhaps in their own minds importunately, which means rudely, troublesomely, persistently, urgently, coming to their friend, to their neighbor, asking for help in times of need. So in conclusion, why do we who come in the same way to God need to pray that God will lead us not into temptation? Well, for two reasons. Number one, because the devil is not an amateur at what he does. You may have heard of the pastor who was horrified to find that his wife had spent $300 on a new dress. Now, I don't want you to get, I tell stories like this, I don't want you to get the idea that all pastors are like this. Certainly not for the sake of my reputation do I want you to think that this pastor is like this. But you might ask, how, how could this happen? How could, he, how could you do that, he asks his wife. How could you succumb to, to this life of luxury that you have before you and spend $300 on a new dress? Well, easy, she explains. I was standing outside the door looking at the dress, and the next thing I know, it was like Satan was whispering in my ear, you look fabulous, you would look fabulous in that dress. Why don't you go in and try it on? And her, ask, her husband asks, well, did you? And she says, I did. And did you uh, tell him what I always tell Satan when he tempts me? And she said, I did. I said, get thee behind me, Satan. And what did the devil do at that moment? Well, he replied, you look great from back here, too. <laughs> We're facing someone who knows our weaknesses, 
You know, it was the Puritan Thomas Boston who said that Satan has had in his hellish trade several thousand years of experience at dealing with human beings, and it's probably longer than that. But he knows us, right? We're not as unique as we would like to think. We have certain predictable temptations. And if one of those won't work, he will try another. But sooner or later, he will find the chink in your armor. And he will exploit those things, particularly in times of testing. The devil, if you are a Christian, cannot destroy you. But if he can lead you through a minefield of sin, which will tarnish your integrity as a Christian, which will neutralize your confidence in the gospel, which will make you bitter towards God, which will harm or discourage others who have been looking towards you in the faith, which is a very good reason, by the way, not to seek leadership in the Christian church. He will not wait then for a second opportunity. So what you're praying when you pray this, lead us not, lead me not into temptation, is this. Lord, if it's possible, please, no big test today. In the face of my own sin and my own weaknesses, of the, own way, the ways I struggle, and you know this, no big test today. Help me, in the light of this, to be sensible about the way that I place myself within temptation. Perhaps to be accountable, perhaps to be telling friends of ways in which I'm drawn off course, but lead me not into temptation today. I don't want to risk dishonoring you. I don't want to risk damaging those that I love in the faith. I was very affected last year when, when uh, Pastor Duncan came over from our partner church in Scotland, in Dornock, Scotland. He told the story of a Scottish preacher in that denomination, pretty much the same age as me, who took his own life just under two years ago. And he was probably the most gifted and lauded preacher of his generation in the Free Church of Scotland. But he'd led a double life for many years, which suddenly came out into the open. And for all of his successes and for his reputation, he could not live life with those sins laid bare before people. And so as those things came out, he took his own life. In a sense, that was the worst possible ending of not praying and meaning this prayer sufficiently and taking practical steps to put it into effect. You cannot avoid temptation in this life. Indeed, God does not mean you to, but we are to be mindful of our enemy and of our own frailty. And we're to grow through these daily battles. And the second reason I think that we're to pray do not lead us into temptation is that the power problem for us is not powerlessness or even failure per se it is independence from the gospel and independence from our lord it is fascinating if you look in fact at the way that jesus modeled battle with temptation in the wilderness that the way he used uh, the bible or in the garden when he was struggling with the load that was being placed upon him his pattern again was to go to the Bible, to resist the devil, and in the garden to run to God with the promises of Scripture in humility and obedience. So it is that the story that Jesus gives here is of one where God is found to be, through the Bible, so much more gracious than anyone that we have ever met. And you need to be reminded of that in the middle of facing temptation. 
When you're saying, lead me not into temptation, lead us not into temptation, you're mindful of the fact that there is someone who is so much better a comfort than whatever sin it is that you are constantly drawn towards. And secondly, that success for you in that battle against temptation is to remind yourself that the way to deal with it is not to flirt with it and to say, I can handle this, but rather to run to the one who loves you and to be in dialogue with the one who can meet your needs and to be in dependence upon him. Not to be independent. You know, as a Presbyterian, I think I have a whole set of books that I would retitle. This is one of them. Remember the original, the little engine that could? This is the little engine that couldn't even from Presbyterian Publishing. But it's true. It's true of us. You know, what will be the great eulogy at the end of our lives? Will it be that people will stand up at our funerals and say, well, he proved that he was worthwhile, that he could do it on his own, that he could tough it through? No, if we are children of the gospel as we are, it will be that we had a great and a loving saviour. It's not as if temptations are going to stop coming our way, but the way that we deal with them is not to pretend that we can go it alone, not to say, I think I can, I think I can, when we're battling some besetting but hidden sin, but to say, I know I can't, I know I can't, but I know you have, Jesus, and I belong to you. You are my safety, you are my success, you are my good record, you are my righteousness, and if I'm going to get through this, it will be because I need to run to you And in the company of other frail, perhaps, but vulnerable friends, be reminded that together we're going to stick daily, joyfully, transparently close to you. So I think that's what this prayer is about. This is the way that we are to pray, lead us not into temptation. Because there are battles that we shouldn't be fighting, and we certainly shouldn't be fighting them alone. We should be fighting them alongside others And we should be fighting them depending on our Lord. So let me lead us in prayer as we close with a prayer concerning temptation. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, it would be one thing if temptation came like junk mail, easy to recognize, to ignore, and then to trash. But at times, temptation comes with such alluring and promissory power that standing up under it is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And so, Lord, we recognize that for ourselves this morning, our prayer is, do not lead us into temptation. Lord, in your mercy, keep us from it, because we cannot handle it, because we are not equal to it. Jesus, help us resist the seducing power of the drawer of temptation where it rages most powerfully for us in this season of life. In the very hour of this particular day, whether our temptations are financial or relational or sexual or alcohol-related or drug-related, it makes no difference. Show us the way of escape and give us strength to choose that way. And if we are to falter and to fail, grant us grace to flee to you for mercy and restoration. Jesus, what a wonderful and a merciful Saviour you are. So very amen, we pray.
in your strong and grace-filled name. Amen.